Welcome to the Schoolhouse Podcast, where it is jumping, all right? So the objective of the Schoolhouse Podcast is to provide a safe place for educators. And we have a special guest, and I will let her introduce herself, her name, her credentials, etc. Hi, everyone. My name is Desiree Williams. I am going into my sixth year as a school counselor. Um, this will be my 11th year in education. Um, a little bit about myself. I have, of course, have my bachelor's degree. I have my master's in school counseling. I have an educational specialist degree in psychology with a focus on mental health. And I am currently working on my doctoral degree in, high, yeah, in higher education and in uh, college access and student support services. Okay, nice. Working on that doctoral degree, making big moves. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's what's up. Congratulations on making that move. All right. So, so Desiree, how was it for you, for you growing up? And where are you from, by the way? Oh, yeah, I guess I should have said that in my introduction. I am from St. Louis, Missouri, so I grew up here. I was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, so I let people know that I'm originally a Southern Belle. Um, I did grow up in the Midwest, so St. Louis was home. It's been home um, since I was five years old, and so, yeah, I currently reside here in St. Louis. Okay, nice, nice. So, like, for you growing up in school, like, so far as in your, your personal life, did you experience any hardships in school growing up for, for you? Any bullying, any failing classes, um, just any bad experiences or good experiences that you um, may have encountered? Both. So, middle school was uh, definitely a difficult time for me. I did encounter a lot of bullying, and I, I used to try to figure out, like, why y'all don't like me? I don't understand, like, what have I done for you not to like me? And so middle school was the most challenging time for me, but because I come from a big family, I dealt with that at school, but when I got home, it was a lot of love. Mm. Um, have I failed any classes? I have, actually, I failed too. So in high school, it had to be my sophomore, junior year, I failed geometry, one semester of geometry. Um, and then when I worked on my ed specialist degree, I had some medical issues going on. I knew I should have dropped the class. I did not. I did fail the class. So I have an F on my transcript for my educational specialist degree. But I had a great advisor who worked with me and she actually helped me find a class that would transfer from my master's that would take care of their credit. So I would get the credit and I would not be out of any money. Oh, nice. So it actually worked out. Okay. That's, that's, that's dope. That's dope. So, you know, the golden question I always like to ask is, you could have chosen any other major, you know, you could have chosen to be, to do science, to be a lawyer, uh, finance, you know, all of these glorified uh, professions, but you chose education. Why? Why education? So let me tell you the backstory. I really wanted to be an actress. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it was a combination between acting or being an educator. Okay. Um, 
And if I, so with the route of acting, I wanted to major in journalism as well. And my parents said, heck no, we're not spending our money on that. If you don't get enough scholarship dollars to cover that, you cannot major in that. Mm. So education has always been the runner up. Um, I even remember my junior year of high school standing in one of my honors classes saying that I'm going to be a teacher. And all mm. of my peers were like, a teacher, you're mm. not going to make any money. Excuse my incorrect grammar, but yeah, you're not going to make yeah. no money. Yeah. And I was like, well, I feel like I'm called to this. So I do believe education is a calling. Um, being an educator, no matter what level you're, you're at, um, no matter your educational background, being an educator is not for the weak. And mm. I truly believe God calls and anoint certain people to be educators. And mm. that's why sometimes you see that first, second year teacher, they, they don't make it. And not to say they're not good educators, you have to have a different type of passion. You have to be truly called to it because there are times you will want to walk away. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I like one of the, one of the points that you said that um, being an educator is not for the weak. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Why, why do you, why do you believe that? A combination of things, especially um, just reflecting on education. Now, when we were growing up, education was different. And we, of course, our parents were in partnership with your teacher. So if you got that phone call home. Mm. You, you knew what would happen next. Um, right. As times have changed, it's harder to bridge that gap from school back to home. And many times we get the parents. So we have the parents on us. We have the students' behavior issues we're dealing with. Then we have our coworkers we're dealing with. Then we have administration, so principals, then higher up superintendent. So it's like we, we're getting a whole lot at one time. And if you are not properly prepared, you will not be able to handle it. Mm. Let's see the, the, the thing. I always hear is that uh, college doesn't prepare you, prepare you all the way for, um, I guess, to, to be an educator. But um, so now you, you said that you were a school counselor. You said, OK, so let's kind of retrace back. Mm -hmm. So you said that you've been a school counselor for how long? Six years. OK, this, this school year would make my sixth year. So have you been in education all together for six years? Yes, I have. I've been in education actually longer. So uh, this school year will make my 11th year. I started in education when I was 21 years old. Uh -huh. um, okay. And I've done other podcast interviews where I talked about it. When I graduated from undergraduate school, I could not pass my teacher certification. The Gacism? Was it, is it called So Gacism? here in Missouri, it was the Praxis. We most recently changed it to the Mojia, but it used to be the Praxis. And man, that test was hard. And mm. honestly, I actually just passed my teacher certification exam in 2020, mm. May of 2020. So two years mm. ago, mm. Um, a lot of people asked me like, why would you backtrack if you're a school counselor now you're at another mm. level why why would you backtrack why would you do that well one thing i always wanted to accomplish it 
And so mm. even if I have to backtrack, this is something I put on my list to accomplish. Not only that, I had parents behind me um, encouraging me and, and motivating me and pushing me to take it. So mm. I, I took the test a few times um, before I passed and I was determined. So even I worked at different districts under provisional um, license to teach. And mm. it got to a point where I was like, I got to. I need a little bit more money. I got to do something different. And so then that's when I went back and got my master's in school counseling. But even then, I still hadn't passed my teacher certification exam. And so I just kept going at it. And I finally passed. And, and that's just a testament to whatever your goals are. So even outside of education, whatever your goals are, no matter how long it takes you to get there, you got to keep going. And man, that... That takes determination. Like, that's actually pretty interesting because here it is. You're a school counselor, you know, and if I'm not mistaken, school counselors typically make it's a, they make more than teachers. They do. And so for you to go back and be motivated to want to take the teachers, the teachers exam is really inspiring. Like for you to be resilient and just say, hey, look, this is something that I want to accomplish and attack. And you were willing to do what it what it take, what it took to make that come into fruition. So that's uh, that's pretty admirable. So what were you doing? So you were you, you've been a school counselor for six, but you've been in education for 11 years. So were you teaching under were you were you I know you was on, under provision. So were you teaching like under provision for those years when you first got into education? Yes, I was. Um, I actually had a principal who took a chance on me and any opportunity I get to shout him out, I always do. So okay. Mr. Bowie, um, he took a chance on me. I was very young and people look at me now and say, you still look young. So you can only imagine <laughs> how young I looked um, back then. But I remember interviewing and I was scared, like I was scared. And he said, he was like, I know you were scared, but I'm like, let me give this, let me give this girl a chance. Let me give her a job. <laughs> and yeah. I've, I've forever been grateful since mm -hmm. because that was the door that opened many opportunities for me. Mm -hmm. So how was your first year? How was your first year? Um, so my actual first year, I had first and second graders, and I had the students who couldn't read. Mm -hmm. um, so I taught a lot of phonics and, and taught them how to read and how to pronounce words. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I'm mm. be honest. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had a student, and he was a first grader. And his family had been through a lot and they were getting ready to relocate to Las Vegas. And I remember him writing me this letter, like thanking me and telling me how he would miss me. And at that moment, that's when I knew like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was just blown away because when the student, when he initially came, he transferred from a different school. So you can imagine he had bounced around and he was one of those students who got in trouble a lot. He could not read at all. He barely knew letter sounds. And for him to leave midway through the school year and all of the growth that I saw in him, enough for him to even write me a letter. 
Mm. Like it just blew me away. Yeah. And so it's it's stories like that, and I have many more, but that was my first one. I knew then that I was in the right place. Mm. So that student um that was challenging to deal with and that student was able to overcome that. And you were part of that process. And that's when you say, this is where I'm supposed to be. Okay. Okay. Any, um, any, any, like, okay. So you not knowing what you were doing, like in those moments, were you frustrated? Were you exhausted? Where did you feel insecure? Did you compare yourself? Did you deal with any of these emotions in your mind as you was going through that first year? I really didn't because I worked with a team of teachers who encouraged me. They really helped groom me. Um, the school that I was at, I always called it my home away from home because when I went into that school building, I knew that I could go to any teacher for anything, for any support. And so having them in my corner, it was no judgment. It was no, look at this young girl. She don't know what she's doing. I always had support. And even now, being in the school system, I kind of look at that. A lot of young teachers do not have enough support, but I had that support um, from everyone. And a lot of those teachers I'm still connected to and I still talk to to this very day. Wow. But they, they really helped me. So I just what's the thing fake it till you make it that's what i did <laughs> oh, yeah 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 okay okay and and do you know why you know because you've been in education for quite some time do you know why teachers um especially first year second year teachers why why don't why don't they have support why you know do you have an idea as to why is that like that I, I don't have the exact wording for it. I just briefly what I talked about earlier about education being so different and looking so different. So when I enter education, I'm working with truly veteran teachers who already have 15 plus years in. Mm. Um, I had a principal that had over 15 plus years in. Okay. And so the more and more I think about it, the baby boomers are retiring and have retired. Yeah. So now you have new teachers coming into the school system with other teachers that have only been there five, six, seven years. Mm. There's only a handful of teachers that are still teaching with the 20 plus years in. And Got somewhere it. along the way, we forgot to pass the baton. So yeah. you know anything about track. So as yeah. the baby boomers were exiting and retiring, we forgot to pass that baton of you help groom the new, the first year, the second year teacher coming in. And then the more and more I think about it, it's so much more on a teacher's plate now than what it was in the past. Mm, mm. So I don't have time to help groom anyone else. If, I, if I'm making sure my classroom is covered, my testing is in place, I'm dealing with classroom management and behavior issues. I have a full plate. So mm. I can't, I don't know how to manage my stuff and help somebody else with their stuff. Yeah. 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 Got you. Got you. Um, I appreciate your, your take on that. And so now, you know, you were, you were teaching 
It was your first year in, you know, you were doing your thing. But eventually somewhere down the line, you was like, yo, I can be a school counselor. Did you did you have any moment like as you were teaching that you said, okay, now I want to go ahead and get into school counseling? So once I graduated um, from undergrad, I, I took maybe a year off. Like out of teaching? No, 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 no. So I was still teaching. I was still working. But from the transition from undergraduate to graduate school, okay. I took a year off. So in my mind, I, I always knew that I would immediately kind of go back and get my master's degree. And Got then it. the fact that I couldn't pass my exam made it even faster <laughs> of going mm. back to work on my school counseling. Um, mm. So, yeah. Got you. So now um, for maybe someone who's an aspiring counselor out there, um, what was that process like again into grad school? Like, do you do you can you remember any of the requirements that it took to get into grad school or or what was it for you? How was that process like for you? So I actually I started graduate school at the university where I got my undergrad from. Okay. Um, during that time, I went through a lot of life transitions. So I lost my brother. Um, so I had to deal with the death of my brother and a cousin. I transitioned through that to becoming sick. So I battled some health issues. And in that process, I ended up transferring to another university. And I remember my doctor telling me, maybe you should pull back and, and get your health under control. And I'm like, no, you must be crazy. <laughs> I started this thing. I'm going to see it to the yeah. end. If I have to crawl across that stage, wow. that's what I'm going to do. Um, and in the midst of all of this, I'm a single mother. So yeah. I, I'm having this uh, two-year-old, three, he was three at the time, three-year-old uh, going through this process with me. So I'm like, no, I, I can't stop. I, I got I got some things to take care of and, and I and got some you, people to take care of. Right. And did you, now, did you have to get into grad school? Did you have to take a, any certification exam to get in or did you have to take a certification to leave out? Like to, I did not have to take um, any exams to get in. I did not. Okay. Um, when gotcha. I graduated from undergraduate, I had like maybe a 3.3 grade point average. So I had a, a B plus average. Um, so I got in, but to graduate, you had to pass your school counseling certification exam. Okay, gotcha. And I, 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 I took that bad boy two times. I passed on the third time. Yeah. I passed on the third time, but I was de determined this time. I was like, I had this hang up with the teacher certification. We, I'm not going through this again. So oh, wow. I remember studying day and night, falling asleep, studying, because yes. I was not going to let years linger <laughs> before I accomplished it. Your ambition is like next level. Wow. You, you have to keep going. Like if you want to be successful, there are people who will help you along the way. And what I always tell my students is you will get more help by helping yourself. Isn't so that in other words, I have to see you putting in the work. If I see you putting in the work, then I am going to help you with all I have to give. Mm, mm. So if yeah. someone sees you putting in the work, they're going to support you. 
Right. No, that's real. But if you sitting around doing nothing or complaining yeah. or just mm. nine times out of ten, nobody's going to help you or push you. Yeah. No, that's they real. You know, allow you to sit there and complain and mm. be in misery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. when they see you you taking those steps and, and pushing yourself, they will assist you. Right. Right, right. Very true, very true. So as a, so now you're a school counselor, things like that. So can you kind of describe like what does your job entail? I know people have a general idea, but I want to know the details. Like what does what what does it entail as a school counselor? It depends on the day. <laughs> it depends um, on the day. It, it does. It depends on the day. Um, okay. So, like you said, the the typical, I'm in high school. Most of my experience is high school. I spend a year and a semester in the alternative setting, um, and I spent two years in middle school, and my passion is high school. So, um, with high school, of course, you got to make sure those seniors are on track to graduate. Um, it's a lot of conversation with those who are at risk of not graduating, and that can get very difficult. Um, you also have to be there when your student come to you and say they're pregnant or they come to you and say they may have an STD. Um, mm. You also have to deal with students that are homeless. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. And a lot of teachers lean on the counselors because they hear things first and then they encourage them to come to the counselor or talk to the counselor or they will partner with us to see what we can do to help or assist the student. But it's a lot to school counseling. It's not, it's not the glamorous or the glamour of, I just sit in my office and I'm in my office hiding out. Mm. And it's even times when administration is not in the building, then the counselors kind of have to step up and step into those roles. So, so we do a whole lot that's not always seen. And a lot mm. of people don't necessarily know, but mm. yeah. Mm. So you mentioned a point where you said it was difficult. I think you mentioned about students not graduating. Yes. Thank you. So talk, let's elaborate on it. Hey, this is a podcast. Hey, so tell me about it. We got so, Why uh, is that difficult? Why is that difficult? It's difficult for two reasons. One, we know that if we cannot put into place strategies or accommodations, for the student to graduate on time. Nine times out of 10, they're not gonna return the following school year because it's embarrassing, right? Mm. Um, we know what's next. If they don't at least get their high school diploma, they're probably gonna be out robbing, stealing, killing. Very few who drop out of high school take a path of getting a GED, going to community college, going that route is, is a very small percentage, very mm. few. And so it gets hard because it's like, I know that you need this for your stepping stone. Mm. And if you can't get it now, if I can't lead you or guide you in the direction of getting it, I know that the future will be a lot harder for mm. you. Mm. And as an educator, I don't want to see any of my students selling drugs, scamming or scheming people, robbing people. I don't want to see them in a strip club. This, I don't want to see that. So it gets challenging because in my mind, I'm thinking if you don't finish now and get your high school diploma, 
these are some of the things I see. Mm. Mm. And so it, it it weighs heavy on you. And I used to hear some of the more seasoned educators say that, you know, when you were working with these kids, you no longer are a parent of just your kids. You take on the responsibility of your, in my case, I have 159 students this year. So all 159 students, those are my babies. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to do what I need to do or what I can do to help them move forward. And then it's also difficult having the conversation with their parents like, okay, he's short three credits or she's short three credits. She's not going to walk in May. Wow. Yeah. And so you get some parents cry. Some parents are like, well, what's next? What can we do? Um, But that's hard too. Yeah. Being in that seat and having to tell a parent that, yeah, your child won't walk in May. So yeah. we gotta come up with another plan. It's it's funny how we're we're discussing this. It really it really takes me back to the time I remember when I was in high school, and I think I was a junior at the time. Well, in ninth grade, I used to hear about it. when here in Georgia, and I'm not sure if you ever heard of it, but it was a test called the Georgia High School Graduation Test. It was something like that, and I just remember when. Um, they were like, yo, you got to pass this test to graduate. If you do not pass, you do not, you know, walk. And at first I was like, yeah, that's y'all, y'all, you guys probably just let me pass. Cause I used to be in special education classes. So a lot of times to be honest with you, I was accommodated for a lot of, a lot of things and they would just let me pass on. Even if there were cases where I didn't necessarily master all of the content that was being taught, but that test it was they it didn't matter if I was in special education. I even wrote a letter to the school district was like, I'm in special education. Can you guys let me pass? I had to take that test eight times. I didn't even get I walked, but they gave me like a cert a certificate. I was like, man, what is this? Like, I don't know. I was really in my feelings about that. Like I was really emotional. It was very stressful for me, but I was able to overcome it. So I say all that to say is like you talking about, you know, how it can be heartbreaking when you have to have those tough conversations. I can only imagine because when I was being told that I wasn't getting my diploma, it was very heartbreaking. It was. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so I like, okay, so as a school counselor, right, you say you have a a case of 159 students. So do you meet with these students like, Cause I remember like my counselor talking to me about like mentioning like when it was time for me to um, register for classes or so like, do you meet with these students on like a monthly basis or only when you see a specific student is not doing too well academically? Like how does that work with your caseload of students on a day-to-day basis? So with my seniors, um, I meet with them right off the bat. So starting the school year. One, okay. to make sure they're in all their classes that they do need to graduate. Um, talk about post-secondary plans. So what are you doing after you graduate? Mm. And then I meet with them constantly throughout the year to make sure that they are on track. Because there's another thing. When we have a student that don't graduate, it falls back on the counselors. How? Wait, freeze. <laughs> How? Because we are responsible to a certain degree of 
checking attendance. So when my students' attendance drop, next time I see them in school, can you send so and so to my office, please? Oh, wow. Okay, what's going on with your attendance? What's what's happening? What can I do to get you to school? What assistance do you need? Um, and the same thing with grades. So uh, for us, progress grades should be posted Monday when we get to work. So my first group of students I'm going to look at is all of my seniors. If I have any seniors that have D's or F's, I immediately call them in. Oh, then wow. I look at my juniors. In mm. the same process, if I see any D's and F's, I, I call them in to have a conversation. And so I am constantly uh, meeting with my students. I also do a lot of, for the freshmen and sophomores, I kind of go into the classroom and kind of observe and begin to build relationships that way because their need isn't as high as the juniors and seniors. And then also with the freshmen, I see them a lot more probably around March, April when we're updating our four-year plan. So your four-year plan um, here in Missouri, we call it the ICAP. Okay. So um, your individual career advance placement, something some to that nature. Don't quote me on that. Gotcha. Because, yeah, we're so big into acronyms. I naturally i cap just comes out so i cap follows them from freshman year to their senior year and so it keeps a list of all the classes they take the credits they earn in those classes and what career pathway they are going to take and so um around march or april we start there with the freshmen so we begin to uh list the classes they took freshman year and if they passed and earned the credit if they would need to retake the class and then we kind of go from there we also give career um, assessments to kind of help them navigate the course selection for the rest of their three years that will con- will align with their career choices. Mm, mm. And, and this year I'm at a performing arts school, so it's, it's, it's different. Different. Got you, got you. And so, and I've just, I've been curious to know, this out of curiosity, I've always heard counselors and administrators like kind of working side by side. So you were saying that some counselors are actually lead may lead the school if the administrator, if they're not present. So how do you guys work so closely together? Like, what does that dynamics look like? Why do they lean on the counselors? Like, you know, I guess like you get my question. Yeah, um, so we're kind of the in-between of everybody. So, like, we're connected to the teachers, we're connected to the students, we're connected to the parents, we're connected to the administrators. So, um, it's kind of like we're in the center. Got you. Okay. We're connected. So, it's like we'll know information that a student would never tell the principal. Mm. Those Mm. type of things. And so... We work side by side with them, keeping them informed because, of course, when parents come up, the parents won't immediately speak to a counselor. They would speak to an administrator. So right. we have to keep them in the loop and in the process of things that are going on and the information that we have. Oh, and okay. so we have a, what we call a, a care team. I'm not sure if you, you know. No, I never heard of that. So yes. a care team, um, we basically students that are at high risk attendance, homelessness, grades, behavior. And so we meet once a week to discuss the students who are on our radar. 
And my head principal always sit in on those meetings so that she's aware of the students' issues outside of behavior. Because, you know, typically once you make it to the principal, it's normally behavior. But she comes to the care team meeting so that she's aware of everything. So if we have a student that's at risk of being homeless or we have a student whose parent passes away, um, like I said, counselors know that information first, us or the social workers. Mm-hmm. So we have the care team meeting where we come together and discuss different students and what they may need, what um, resources we have in building, what resources we need to pull outside from our community. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way we work hand in hand with our administration. Got you, got you. And and now, like I know that you you mentioned like these students are um they have traumatic experiences that they're dealing with real life situations so how do you counsel them through that um do you just listen do you guys have um resources or partnerships connections like if a student is homeless like how does that how does that typically work out on your end so we have um, a few agencies here in St. Louis that will push into our school. So we have a therapist that comes from Chad's. Mm. So that's a, a community agency. We also have a therapist that comes from Safe Connections. So that's another um, community resource that pushes into our school building. And we, with some students, is in their IEPs that they get counseling services or counseling minutes and typically those students will meet with the counselors that come in um and then we also have situations where a teacher may see something or i may observe something i will recommend or request therapy therapy excuse me for those students and then when we have the severe severe cases i connect with parents I explain to them what's going on and then I will provide the parents with resources so that the student can get counseling service outside of the school building. And now, now those community agencies are, are so, so do students have access to free therapy or that's something that they have to, parents have to pay for? So the therapists that come to our building and push in those services are free. Wow, that is really cool. So students have access to um therapists. Wow, that's that's really cool. That's definitely needed for sure. It is. Okay, for sure, for sure. Um now let's kind of get into it. You you making a big move. Big about to be a doctor, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I have a year and a couple of months. <laughs> doctor, <laughs> tell me like. What made you want to make that move? And what, what are you getting your um, doctoral degree in? So mine is in college access, student support services, and higher education. Um, my research is, so my dissertation will be a group dissertation. And my group is myself and one other um, woman. She's also black. And our research is examining uh, mental health with Black women that are in college. So what barriers are they facing to, um, what barriers, excuse me, do they need to overcome in order to see therapists? And we are still in the early stages of our research, but one of the many things we are learning is Black women 
don't attend counseling either. So we hear about black men not going, really? but black women don't either. Mm-hmm. And so typically um, black women will attend if it's tied to something else. So like a black woman with high blood pressure or, or a black woman with diabetes, they will go seek a therapist or a counselor, but every day just black woman working nine to five or, you know, mm-hmm. will not, and especially college students and um, once we started this study, we it was actually two different uh, black girls that recently committed suicide. Wow! And wow. I want to say one was at Southern University, and one may have been from Jackson State. Mm. And so we're like, what barriers are stop? What barriers are they facing that's not allowing them to open up and to? see a therapist so um the research is getting really deep it's getting really yeah. rich um but it's needed and it's, it's needed for our black community whether it's just black women i mean sorry outside of just black women black men as well and we need to begin to teach our black children that it's okay to talk to someone if you're hurting it's okay to talk to them if someone's hurting you it's okay to talk. It's no longer what happens in my house stays in my house. Especially if someone's getting hurt. We can no longer operate. Um, Just like black women can no longer operate under the superwoman complex. Yeah. Superwomen, you know? Um, And then Mm. we also have to be aware of our black men and what they constantly Mm. face on a daily Mm. to be able to support them and help them. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, the research you know, is getting rich and deep. <laughs> and and I, I just want to take a moment because I want to inspire, because I know mainly educators listen to this podcast. All you know, I want to take a moment to really just inspire, you know, the educators to say, hey, you know, it's okay to to take care of yourself. You know, it's okay to to go see a therapist. You're not weird. And it and it doesn't, I mean. You don't have to wait to a major a major crisis to happen in your life to see a therapist. It could be something about as simple as your stress or your overwhelm or the students are driving you crazy and you don't know if you can see another day or if you don't know if you, you're burnt out. Like there's no big or small. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too big to um to go talk to a therapist. I'm a huge advocate for that for uh, therapy. I see a therapist, you know, so. It's definitely worth it. There's resources out there like BetterHelp, you know, that that's pretty affordable. I use BetterHelp. So I just want to take a moment to encourage, you know, all the educators out there. Y'all know you out there. You're doing the best that you can do for your students and you're going hard, but you still got to take care of yourself. And, and seeing a therapist, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I just wanted to say that because I know, like, you know, you just talking about therapy is like, I don't know. It's just it's important. It's, it's really, really important, man. And a lot of people just kind of look down upon it and, you know, and shy away from it. But it's so beneficial. It is. And I will say, um, even as a school counselor, I see a therapist. And um, if you go to therapy and your therapist isn't seeing a therapist or they are not under supervision Mm -hmm. or a supervisor that they they talk to on a regular basis, find you another therapist. never go to a therapist to say, no, I don't go to therapy and present themselves like they have it all together because right. none of us, 
none of us again. have it all together. Right. And so um, even when I talk to my, my friends on a personal level, I, I let them know, like, that therapist don't sound right. You, you might want to do some background check. You might or you look into getting you another therapist, because if you find a therapist that have it all together, I would like to meet them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so always look. That's one of the key things to look at when you are searching for a therapist. One, someone who truly keeps confidentiality. And two, they need to be seeing a therapist as well or some type of counseling or they need to be under supervision where they meet regularly with the supervisor. Right. Right. And that's true, because, you know, before I start before I started to see a therapist, I used to I used to think that, yo, therapists, they got all together. They educated and all, but no, they're still human beings. They still go through real life and life is still happening for therapists and life is still happening for teachers. Edu- like life still happens regardless of um, how educated you become and, you know, their credentials, like all this stuff, life still happens. So it's always important. It doesn't matter, you know, what status that person individual is we all need help because we're all flawed and we all go through stuff you know nobody gets through life nobody can get through life without going through anything doesn't matter how much money you make like it's just impossible so so yeah for sure for sure so with that so with the doctoral degree now what would like what career so would you still be a school counselor would you be working at higher ed with that degree what would you be able to do with that so there will be um, many doors unlocked getting this degree. So I could stay in school counseling in the K through 12 setting. I could also bridge into higher education. Um, I am also working on being a licensed counselor. So I would have the opportunity to open private practices. Um, But my ultimate goal, my ultimate goal is to work with first year um, college students coming in to college and making them aware of how to manage work, school life while incorporating health and wellness. And under health and wellness, therapy would fit under the umbrella. Um, I would also like to do seminars where I go around to the universities, helping them rebuild one, their counseling centers. Because if you, do you know where the counseling center is at your university? No, I don't know where. I, I know we got counseling, but I don't know where. Right. And so that's, that's one of the barriers. Many people don't know where it's located. It. So how can I go get support from a place where I don't know where it is? So yeah. just helping um, different u- universities market their counseling services in their counseling department. Um, um, I would really, really love to do that. Help them yeah. revamp and begin to present um in our study we talk a lot about you know where the cashier's office is right cashier's, cashier's office where, where tuition where you pay your tuition oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you also know yeah. where you need to go to register for classes so yeah. you know all about admissions but nobody knows where the counseling services are located or where their offices mm-hmm. are and so it's, it's just so much that I can do with having a doctoral degree um, mm. in higher education, specifically mm. with the lens of mental health. Mm. So. 
Got you, got you. Wow. So you like mental health advocate for the kids, but you you doing your thing. You are doing your thing. This is a this has been a great, great, great interview. And I have one more question. I want to make sure I write this down. What? It's been a minute since I asked this question. What are some of the problems that, you know, as a school counselor, what are some of the problems that you are seeing for teachers right now during this pandemic? Or just generally speaking? Communication. Communication. Like in what way? Like communication with the administrators, the students? Across the board. Across the board. Um, just Friday, I had a student and she's a... Um, one of my higher performing students. Okay. And she's in a math class and it's a huge disconnect. And so she's advocated for herself several times before coming to me to get my assistance. But she's like, this teacher teaches and that's it. We move along to the next subject, even if we're not understanding. And she's like, I have to go home and watch YouTube videos and kind of reteach myself. I've, Asked several times if he could slow down. And mm. so she's like, he always gets the attitude. And she's mm. like, I don't know if he has an issue with me or or like what, I don't know what the issue is. Mm. And so I said disconnect and communication because during the pandemic, we able to sit behind our laptops. We don't have to have the human interaction. Right. And now we're we're kind of moving, you know, post- COVID. I, I, COVID is still out there lingering. <laughs> yeah. But we are trying to move um, post-COVID and people don't know how to communicate. Adults mm. don't know how to communicate. Children don't know how to communicate. So that's the biggest thing I see. Communication yeah. and also educational loss. Educational so loss. Educational a lot of students are lagging behind because they had to sit in front of a laptop and try to learn or in front of their Chromebooks trying to learn. Um, they lost their human one-to-one -one interaction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. those are t the two major things. Yeah, that human interaction is important. I know a lot of, um, just kind of been hearing the lingo, a lot of, a lot of teachers were uh, having a hard time, even students, like having a hard time just learning to communicate with one another. I don't know. Me personally, I like human interaction better. I like to be able to have just that human interaction. Zoom is cool every now and then, but human 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 interaction, I, I prefer that better. That was just a random thought. But no, no, no. I and I'm an introvert, but I still prefer like if I'm if I'm going to talk to you, I do prefer the the face to face. Because right. I can read more of your body language. I exactly. It's a stronger interaction. So, mm. yeah, I can see you through the camera, but I can't necessarily feel or gauge how yeah. you really feel because it's a it's something separating us. Right. Versus right. when it's in person and it human to human interaction. So mm. I agree. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Desiree, it we are getting close to an hour. It it's truly been an honor to to interview you today and to hear how you're still, you know, striving and thriving. You got the masters, but you're like, hey, now it's time to take it up to another level. 
and get that doctoral degree and just your vision, you know, for for mental health, for for students, for for black women and just in education in general, just your your vision. I love it. I love it. So definitely keep that pushing. But I just wanted to leave you with that because I was really inspired today. But that includes the Schoolhouse podcast. So thank you, Desiree. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Enjoy the rest of your night. You too. Welcome to the Schoolhouse podcast. Um, Today was phenomenal. You know, Desiree shared her journey, you know, shared how, you know, she went through just a lot of trying times. And I know that right now in education, you know, teachers, you know, you're going through trying times, you know, things can get political, you know, students are probably overwhelming you, stressing you. Once again, I want to take this moment at the Schoolhouse Podcast office to advocate to to see to to see a therapist um at least at, at your own convenience or i want to advocate to take take care take care of your mental health because if you're not fully suited if you're not fully booted and ready to equip the young minds of our future if your mental health is not right you're not able to give 100% if you don't got 100%. So in order to give 100%, you have to have 100% that's within inside of you to be able to equip the young minds of the future. Um, so thank you all for listening. The Schoolhouse Podcast is jumping and we are out.